Today we're uh, speaking on prayer is more than a bargain. <laughs> prayer is more than a bargain. It's interesting whenever you are speaking with people who have uh, very little knowledge of God, and, uh, it, uh, and it shows, and whenever they start talking about their ideas of God and their ideas of prayer, and how that they kind of outline their approach to God as if, as if they were more intelligent than, than God, and that uh, we're, you know, we as humans are going to strike up a bargain with Almighty God, you know, who sometimes we think is just a few bricks shy of a load, you know. <laughs> that God doesn't, doesn't quite have it all figured out about how life really works, and so we're going to get one over on him. So we, the, these individuals start with a, the, the smarter-than-God uh, mentality, and they realize, you know, we've got a sinking ship here, and who can we get to bail us out? You know, it's almost like uh, I, I've got nothing left to offer. My sink is, shi my sink is shipping. <laughs> my sink is shipping, and uh, my ship is sinking, okay? Um, that's a Dave McGee faux pas. But um, so as our ship is sinking, we're wondering, who can I sell this to, you know? How, how, can, I, how can I bargain or get out of this before it sinks, so we pray to God to save our ship and, you know, how that, you know, we can somehow bargain. We're going to give it to him whenever God will give you our ship if you can somehow get us out of this, you know. Somehow take care of us. Boom. God take care of us. Get our ship, you know, like that um, one that ran aground. They finally got it raised up after, what, a year and a half or so. And they got it righted and... Uh, you know, they're going to take it to a salvage yard. It, I can imagine the captain, after he had hit the rock, saying, Well, God, you know, <laughs> well, he was out of there. He jumped ship. But uh, in, in, in our lives, I think sometimes we're like that. We're, you know, people who have very little knowledge of God, and they're looking at God saying, Well, you know, God, can, you know, you want to salvage this here and get something out of it? And if, as if God is this kind of like this simple-minded individual who doesn't really understand what a good bargain he's getting here with buying my sinking ship. So the first thing we have to do is to get those ideas, we have to blow them out of the water, okay? <laughs> we have to get rid of those ideas that God somehow doesn't know what's going on and that somehow we're going to offer him a bargain. At bargain rates, he can get our ship. Well, you ever, um, <laughs> we think of it in the way that if we devote it Every moment, think of it in the concept, if we devoted every moment of our life, every thinking, working, doing moment, if we dedicated entirely to God, we devoted a whole life of service to God, and that our ship, as it were, were perfectly clean, top-notched, accomplished very well in everything, that we, we would somehow, God would be happy with us, and that everything would be right, and in reality, we can't offer God anything he doesn't already own. So it's kind of irrelevant that if we have given an entire life and made it perfect, we have a shipping, uh, a shipping sink. <laughs> if we have a ship that is sinking, um, it's irrelevant to the point that somehow we're going to strike up a bargain that it's not a merit system, that I've been good, you owe me, 
or I'm losing everything. Can you buy this and salvage it from me? The life of serving God is for our benefit. The life that we have in serving God is one in which we are going to be blessed, not that we're offering God some bargain. And that in serving God, we find that, that God quality in our life. We find that God quality inside of us that is different, that is unique to our nature, our old nature. It is not unique to the God nature, but it is unique to our old nature, unique to our concepts that are based upon our individuality, our thinking, our humanness of what God is like. Paul spoke of it in Romans chapter 12, verse 20. He says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. So here we have Paul looking at, and here, you know, if we think about life in a sinking ship, sometimes we would think, well, our enemies have done this to us. Our enemies have robbed us, or our enemies have hurt us, and Paul tells us, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. The gift that we have in giving to our enemies and feeding those who are hungry, water to those who are thirsty, the gift is realized, is realized in the giving. It is giving to the needy that we find the greatest gift. And it's very contrary to our human nature that if I give something, I don't have it anymore. That's, that's kind of our concept. You know, if I give you something, I don't have it. Well, in, in the kingdom of God, when God gives us something, when God gives us his salvation, when God gives to us, there is no depletion of his resources. There's no depletion in God's kingdom. That whenever we give something from, you know, from the heart of God and we give it to other people, it doesn't diminish us. It becomes greater in our life. It becomes something more than what we could ever accomplish on our own. And so the biblical principles are different than our society's principles. So the gift is realized that when we give it, it is, it is not diminished. It still comes back to us, the scripture says, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Somehow God is going to bring this blessing back into our life. So as we bind up the wounded, as we help heal those who are in pain and sorrow, we find that who is great, who is, who is the greatest, what is the greatest need around us? It's generally with the people who dislike us. <laughs> the greatest need is generally with our enemy. Those who are spitefully using us or whatever, that our greatest need is with those who are against the kingdom of God and against what we stand for. And their ship is sinking. <laughs> the old nature that we lived by is blowing holes in our ship and it is causing us to sink. And the old nature would say to us, finish them off, <laughs> you know blow them out of the water and sink their ship and get it over with. And so we try to do that sometimes with our words and our attitudes and, you know, what we would 
say, against people to try and sink their ship. Well, the new nature in Christ says rescue. The new nature in Christ says deliver. And the old nature is counterproductive. The old nature doesn't want to rescue our enemy. Our old nature doesn't want to pray for those who spitefully use us. You know, the old nature is basically kick them while they're down. The old nature is take advantage of those who are less fortunate. And that if we help them get out of their um, distress, they'll end up taking from us. Psalm 119, Psalm 119 verse 98 says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. God's commands make us wiser than our enemies. For um, your commandments, they're always with me. The commandments that God speaks to our life makes us wiser than our enemies. So when God wants us to pray for our enemies, we in our old nature would look at that and say, nah, I'm not going to do that. But God's command makes us wiser. In the sense, we don't see what's coming. We only see what has happened. And our life is forward-focused, not backward-focused. Our life is forward in our relationship with Christ, and God is doing a new thing in us. God is doing a different thing in our life based on our new nature, based upon the nature that is in Christ. So what do we fear most from those who we call our enemies? I mean, in our own life, what do we fear most from those who are in our enemies? Well, I, I think we fear they will destroy us. They'll take advantage of us. They'll take what is ours. And so the struggle then is to keep. The struggle that we face with our enemies is they're trying to take something from us that is ours. And the struggle to keep what we have turns into this pain, this, this hurt that they have taken from me which then turns into anger and resentment. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get even with them. And then finally, that pain turns to anger, which anger turns to fear. We have fear that something evil, something bad is really going to happen. And there is this struggle, and the old nature is telling us, sink their ship. Get rid of it. You know, hurt them before they hurt you. Teach them a lesson. Let them, let them drown in their sorrows. Let them drown in the things that they've done wrong. That's our old nature. But the new nature, the new life in Christ, makes us wiser. Makes us wiser. See, there's a reason we do what we do. Every time God commands us, asks us, requires us to do something, it's because he has something better in store for us. God has a different way of looking at things. You know, think about how many times you've had an idea and, you know, it didn't work. Why? Well, we didn't have a complete picture. We only saw a part way. We, we ended up being incomplete 
in our analogies and in our putting things together. I've done this thousands of times. You know, I, I have this really clear picture, and Rhonda comes along and says, well, what about this? Well, don't mess my plan up. <laughs> you know, I had it perfectly laid out, plan. And she says, well, what about this? It's obvious to her that there's a part missing, you know? And I'm saying, well, leave that aside. It'll work without that, you know? No, it didn't work without that. I needed that, you know? And, you know, so we, we look at these things and remember our new life in Christ, our new life in Christ, we live the Christian life by godly principles. We live the Christian life by God's influence and his spirit in our lives. So God's commandments make me wise. God's commandments make me wise. Say that? God's commandments make me wise. Wisdom is the application of truth to life. You know, we sometimes call it common sense. <laughs> There's nothing common about common sense. It's just not there. The wisdom of God is a wisdom that helps us see things and make applications. These God commandments are not acquired. Too soon old, too late smart. <laughs> Amish proverb. So the God commandments, you, we can't live long enough to experience everything. That's why we read books, <laughs> you know. But we've got to read books, but, you know, you can read all the books you want about driving a car, but until you get behind the wheel, you don't know what it's like. And the same thing happens. We have knowledge, and people, have, people can have a lot of knowledge, but they don't know how to make the application. <laughs> uh, this morning there was, uh, I was speaking with Jody. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she was telling about how that uh, they have, you know, waitresses, many waitresses that they're trying to bring into the um, store, to the uh, restaurant, there we go, into the restaurant, and, they, and she was talking about how that there was this one individual that came to work, and uh, I, don't, I don't know who it is, man or woman, I have no idea, so, okay, but anyhow, they couldn't find them. And they, would, and they would be in the bathroom texting. And they went and got the individual, brought him out, and they would work for a few minutes or stand around for a few minutes, and then they were gone. They couldn't find him. They were back in the bathroom texting. In about six or seven hours of this, they told them to go home. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's like, their, their concept of work was hiding somewhere and texting on their phone. Their work was interfering with their life. And they couldn't have that, you know? Okay, so anyhow, <laughs> the idea is we, we look at things and, and there are with the wisdom, the application of life, uh, as, as godly principles that we're not going to be hiding somewhere, texting or doing something, and, and forget about living. See, keeping God's laws of love and forgiveness and prayer, praying for our enemies, these are wise to us. So do we struggle against things because we're afraid? Or is it the other way around, we get afraid because we struggle? Do we struggle against things because we're afraid? Or is it that we get afraid because we struggle? Some Christians believe that 
because I am serving God, I won't have any struggles. That everything's going to go just perfect. And when difficulties come, we become afraid. And perfect love displaces fear. God's love helps us set aside fear. And we are going to have struggles, but the struggles are not about success or failure. Struggles are about the application of truths to our life. The application of biblical truths to our life, that we are not going to live in fear. We're not going to live that somebody is going to take from us what really isn't ours in the first place. We are good stewards of the kingdom of God, and the stewardship is, I don't own this place. God does. So therefore, he has put me in charge. Now, I need to be careful. I need to make sure that people don't raid the, you know, raid the place and steal things. I've got to be a good steward of it. But ultimately, it's not mine. And so when people lie to you and I, to the Christian, they're lying to God. When people try to hurt a Christian, they are hurting God because he hurts for us. He's there with us. So they are, the events and the struggles are not there to make us afraid because we can't lose what we don't own. But what we own is what God has given us And it is there in God's presence that we take what we have before God and we ask for wisdom as to how we should deal with all of this. And those who are trying to steal or take the kingdom of God, we need to pray for them. Hmm. There's this mountain climber. This is a story. It's a little joke. Okay. There's this mountain climber since David was climbing. Um, And, you know, he's climbing the rocks and he's going up and he loses track of time and it, darkness comes, storm comes, it's jet black, he can't see, and, you know, he can't see where he's going, he can't see his way back down and as he's trying to descend, he slips and falls and goes down and comes to a jolt and the rope comes to an end and he's hanging there. He can't see where he's at, he can't tell where the ground is, he can't tell where, any, where up is, he's just totally lost and he begins to pray. And, uh, you know, this would be one of those bargaining prayers. God, you get me out of here, I'll give you my life. You know, <laughs> I'm at the end of my rope. Okay, so we're going to give it to God, you know. So anyhow, he prays, God, you know, uh, help me. God, are you up there? And, you know, while he's hanging there, he hears this voice. Yes, I'm up here. Whoa, he's quite excited. God, is that you? He says, yes, my child, it's me. Whoa, God, can you get me out of here? God says, hmm. You're only two feet from the ground. Cut the rope. Guy says, God, are you sure I'm only two feet from the ground? And, you know, God replies, yes, my son. I am sure that you're two feet from the ground. Cut the rope. And so the mountain climber pulls pulls out his knife, and he's ready to cut the rope, and he says, is there anybody else up there? (laughs) You know? And sometimes our life is like that. We hear what God is saying and it's like, is there some other way that I can do this? You know, praying for my enemies is not exactly what I had in mind. So we find that that God is there and, uh, you know, he wants us, and he's not looking for bargains. 
He's not looking for us to wait until we fail. He's looking for us at every, every part of our life. He's not waiting for us to hit the end of the rope. We're the ones who have to come to the end of the rope before we finally decide that we are looking for God. And God is not bargain shopping, blue light specials, you know. Big sale this weekend, lots of people are failing, <laughs> you know. It's not that kind of uh, a life that God is looking for. He's looking for a life that comes to him from their own heart and from their desires. And if we hit the end of the rope or if we come to the, the place where our ship is sinking, God is there. He isn't, he isn't proud in the sense that, well, you know, I'm going to l- let you fall and flounder until and, and you, you, know, you get bad enough, then you'll come to me. As if God were in some type of a struggle with evil. God is not struggling with evil. Evil is already defeated. We're the ones struggling between good and evil. God has provided us the victory. In Christ, you know, everything has changed. All things are new. Our old life has passed away and uh, and a new life has come in Christ. God comes to us. He reaches out and he is there to help us conquer our failures. And and God will have us uh, give us the strength and show us the way that we should go. We're afraid because we struggle and we think maybe God has abandoned us in the midst of our struggles. And that's not true. He will never leave us nor forsake us. You see, there is a difference between a bargain and a prayer. There's a difference between bargaining with God and a sincere, and a sincere prayer to God. The bargain is somehow I'm going to give something to God that he doesn't have. And the sincere prayer is, I'm going to receive from God something I do not have. I'm going to receive from God something that I do not have. I don't have a peace. I don't have a forgiveness. I don't have strength. I, I, I have a need here, but God, only you can, you can meet that need. It's not a bargain. You see, in Stephen's prayer in Acts chapter 7, we have, Stephen has um, been arrested. And Stephen's death is one of those situations in the New Testament that just kind of, it seems totally out of place. You know, Stephen is this bright, brilliant young man. He's waiting on tables. He's taking care of people. He's doing all the right things for the right reasons. And he gets hauled in before the religious rulers and, and he has to give an account for what he's been doing. And uh, they want to try and stop him from doing all the good that he does and from his preaching and, and the miracles that are happening in his own life. And it reminds them of Jesus. And Stephen goes through the, the, the uh, scriptures and starts re- recounting how that God has been with the nation of Israel and how that God has worked with the nation of Israel. And then he comes to verse 51 and he says, And you continue so bullheaded. And he's talking to the religious rulers. Calloused in your hearts, flaps on your ears. <laughs> flaps on your ears. You got your earmuffs on, you know. Um, deliberately ignoring the Holy Spirit. You're just like your ancestors. 
Was there ever a prophet who didn't get some treatment, get the same treatment? Your ancestors killed everyone who dared talk about the coming of the just one. And you've kept up the familiar tradition, traitors and murderers, all of you. You had God's law handed to you by angels, gift-wrapped, and you squandered it. At that point, the, the people who were listening to Stephen went wild. A rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and, 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 and invective. And, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He hardly noticed what was going on. He was full of the Spirit. He recognized something greater is happening here than all these people being against me. There was something else greater. He was full of God's Spirit, and he, and he, you know, he didn't hear all of these jeers and criticisms and how the, you know, what they were planning to do with him. And he hardly noticed. He only had eyes for God, whom he saw in all his glory with Jesus standing at his side. He, and he said, Oh, I see heaven wide open and the Son of Man standing at God's side. So in the midst of all these people jeering and screaming at him and and coming at him, they hardly noticed. He saw God. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in full stampede, they dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. And as the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words. He prayed for his enemies. There is wisdom In the commandments of God, it makes us wise. Stephen was able to, as it were, stand alongside of his enemies who were killing him and pray for them because he saw God and made things different in his life. There is this man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I've been reading some of his, his devotionals, and he is a minister who returned to Germany Uh, with the outbreak of uh, the war and just prior to the outbreak of the war. And he went there to take care of his congregation. And he suffered great persecution, was eventually killed by the Nazis. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There is wisdom. We have different, we have a wisdom that is different because of what God has given us in his commands. He said, Bonhoeffer said, in praying for your enemies, we go to our enemies to stand at their side. We are with them, near them, for them, before God. And I was thinking of this devotional, and I was thinking of Stephen, and I was thinking of people, and, and how that we have this bargaining t- t- mentality, and how that these things... St- Occupy too much of our time, the bargaining mentality. We are to see the wisdom that is in the commandments to pray for what God wants to do in the lives of people who are our enemies. And Stephen, he says, Master, don't blame them for this. 
Stephen, he said, we are with them, near them, for them, before God. Stephen was looking at God and praying for the people who were stoning him, as it were, standing beside them, praying for what they didn't have, the ability to see God. Jesus does not promise us that the enemies will love us, <laughs> that they will bless us, and they will change. He doesn't tell us that at all. Jesus, on the cross, prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Praying for our enemies is praying for people who don't see God and who have not understood the wisdom of God's commands. Praying for our enemies is not praying, God bless them, you know, bless them to the point. No, God touch their lives to the point that they can see you. This is what Stephen prayed for. This is what Jesus prayed for at the cross. He prayed that they would, they would see him differently, they would see things differently, and he stands beside them, as it were, in a spiritual manner, praying for them. We are doing for them in action what they can't do for themselves. Years ago, there was this, you know, Corey Ten Boon was an individual who was in Nazi Germany. And um, her family, they were all taken to a, a concentration camp. And by mistake, Corey was left go from the camp. Her entire family was killed by the Nazis in Germany. It was a death camp. After the war, Corey would go around speaking about how to deal with all of the hatred and bitterness that was left in the lives of survivors because the Nazis had taken everything they owned. A little, little sidelight. You know, Hitler, before the war, did an assessment of all the Jewish people he wanted to know all of their wealth, all of their holdings, all of their gold, silver, whatever was of value. He wanted an assessment of that so that he could protect them. After he had all of their assets in place, he then declared they owned nothing. He confiscated the entire wealth of all of the Jewish people to pay for the war that he was about to bring. And it was the very wealth of the Jewish people that he used to build the camps that killed them. This is evil at its height. Corey, after the war, after her family was killed and on all the, the Holocaust and all the tragedies, she would go around and speak in churches and wherever that the only way to deal with the atrocities of the Nazis was to forgive them, to pray for them. Pray for your enemies. There is a wisdom that God gives us in his commands that make us wise beyond those who are our enemies. And Corey was speaking about forgiveness. And after one of her presentations, her speaking, her messages, she was walking down the aisle and someone stepped out and said, Fraulein, I have found Jesus as my Savior. And he reached out his hand to shake her hand. And it was the guard of the camp that had exterminated her family. Fraulein, I found Jesus. <laughs> she shook his hand. 
she had forgiven him of what he had done. Praying for our enemies is not something that we muster up the strength to do. It is like Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is like Stephen being stoned. Do not lay this sin to their account. We are praying that God would touch their lives, and it doesn't mean that they're going to stop their persecution. It means that we are establishing a relationship with God that is greater than our struggle. See, our struggles make us afraid. Why are we afraid in our struggles? Because somehow we're not supposed to have them? No. We are afraid that we're going to lose something that we don't even own. We're afraid that we're going to lose something that doesn't even belong to us. Our life. Our life belongs to God. We are bought with a price. We belong to him. Our name is in his book of life. And so we believe his commandments. And his commandments make us wise. Wiser than our enemies. And so our enemy may kill us, but they cannot destroy us. Do you know, and one other thing, I always wondered why people curse so much. You know, some people curse all the time. That whenever we are praying for our enemies, we are praying for them in a way that we are representing them before God in a way that they can't represent themselves. Jesus does the very same thing with each of us. With all, you know, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Jesus is beside every living person, praying for them, walking with them, nudging them. And I think, this is a Dave McGeeism, I didn't read it somewhere or whatever. I, I thought of it that when Jesus is praying for these individuals, there is a spiritual part that touches their life, and it's like, Something is good is trying to get into their life and they are going to curse the moment they feel it. <laughs> and it isn't that God has abandoned them, but God is there. God is there with them and they are rebelling against it. We, as Christians, recognize that when we are in a struggle, we should not be afraid, but we should go to God in prayer. And our prayers are not just some elaborate thing. Stephen and his dying, don't hold this against them. It's not an elaborate prayer. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He's not preoccupied with the struggle. He is focused on the one who is going to keep him. And in our lives, we are focused on the one who is going to keep us. Not the struggles, not the difficulties. And life may never change. But we're going to keep seeing what's in front of us, knowing where we are going, praying for those who persecute us, praying for our enemies. Why? Because it is a commandment of God, and his commandments make us wise. His commandments make us wise. And what is wisdom? The application of truth to our everyday life. He will help us 
be wise in living for him. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? <laughs> so, what enemies should we pray for? <laughs> what people should we... Be? Don't, don't answer this, okay? This is, this is okay. Who should we pray for? I think we should pray for so-and-so, you know? They don't like me. <laughs> no, we need to not be caught up in the struggle, but be caught up in what we are living for our relationship with Christ. And that relationship will heal the brokenhearted, will set the captive free. He will make us wise in how that we live life. We don't have to get even. We have to get close to God. And as we do, we become, our prayers are more for restoration and are more for helping people be connected with God rather than afraid that they are going to hurt us or harm us. We're not preoccupied with what is being done. We are preoccupied with what God wants to do. Right? We're not focused on what's going wrong. We're focused on what God wants to do in our life. And that is always forward. That's always to the future. God is in charge. Let him be. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers, knowing our hearts. Lord, inspire us by your spirit and your word. Give us your commands, because in them we find life, we find forgiveness. Lord, we find wisdom. Let your wisdom be part of us, Lord, as we pray. Pray one for another as we uphold our needs and bring them to you. Lord, we pray for them and for our enemies. We come alongside of them and we pray for them. We pray for them. What they cannot do for themselves, we will do for them. As you, O oh God, have done for us. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.